Turning in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2, we want to begin in verse 8 to 14, and we want to read God's Word this morning under the heading of the angel's good news. The angel's good news from Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. Let's now give our attention to the reading of God's Word. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, And lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. May we receive it with a believing heart. Dear congregation, we come this morning to the third Advent song of Luke's Gospel with the final song, Simeon's song, will be our consideration next week. But this morning, we get a front row seat to one of the most exciting worship services that's ever taken place on this earth. And what makes this worship service so exciting is the message. The message. Notice that the angelic preacher is unnamed. In the first two songs that we looked at this Advent season, the angel was named specifically as Gabriel, but as the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds, no name is mentioned. It doesn't take place in the glorious temple in Jerusalem, or the most beautiful cathedral, or church, but a farmer's field. There's no record of loud instruments. The congregation is not kings and noble princes and mighty men, but the congregation is just normal Joes. It's the message that makes this worship service wonderful. That God has fulfilled His promised Word. Today, a Savior is born. Christ the Lord. Heaven has come to earth in the babe, Jesus Christ. And the fact that the angels proclaim this to shepherds shows us that heaven has come and is meeting the normal guy. Heaven has come for the normal gal. This is good news for all people, from the greatest to the least, that Christ the Savior is born for lost mankind. And God wants to speak to every person about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, including you this morning. 
And so I invite you to sit with the shepherds and hear God's message of salvation to the normal person that Christ the babe has come to save. That's our theme this morning. The angels proclaim a Savior to the poor and powerless. The angels proclaim a Savior to the poor and powerless. I want you to see in this Uh, this congregational worship, in this worship setting, there is lowly congregants in verses 8 and 9. There's an angelic preacher in verses 10 through 12. And there's heavenly worship in verses 13 and 14. All the essential elements of a worship service. Lowly congregants, angelic preachers, and heavenly worship. Worship. Let's look at those lowly congregants, the shepherds. Thousands of children at this time of year will don bathrobes and play the part of the shepherds in their Christmas pageants. Matthew in his Gospel in chapter 2, he will actually skip over the shepherds and go straight to the wise men, the magi, and their visit to baby Jesus. But here in Luke chapter 2, Luke is not focusing on the Magi, but he's focusing on the shepherds. But I want to put the question to you, if Luke is writing his Gospel, which he says in Luke chapter 1, to give, verse 4, certainty about the things he has been taught, why does he not mention the Magi? Why focus on such humble and lowly characters? John Calvin, I think, is right when he says, this news was not just for one day. It was not for a tiny handful of people. But it was intended for all time until the end of the world. And listen very closely to this. And it was meant for all of us. From the greatest to the least. The Magi show us that the Gospel came for the greatest. But here Luke is showing us that the Gospel also comes for the least of us. Luke shows us this principle in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by Night. Now, at the risk of upsetting some of our farmers here this morning, it should be known that a shepherd in, the shepherds in ancient Israel were not people of very high social standing. In fact, we may be able to even say this morning they were close to the bottom of the social standing. It would have been unlikely that these shepherds would have had any formal education It's unlikely that they would have had any social status. And we know certainly that these shepherds had no religious status because their working with animals made them ceremonially unclean. To top it all off, not only do they have one of the worst jobs in Israel, they're working the graveyard shift. Young children, if you don't know what that means, it means you're working the night shift shift. They were the night watch for the flock. They don't just have an undesirable job, but they have the most undesirable schedule. 
And what this means then is that they probably don't have a lot of money. They may not have wives or children. Anybody who's ever worked the night shift knows they didn't have a social life. Working all night, sleeping all day. The idea that's given here in verse 8 is that these brothers actually would have been one of the lowest rungs of the social ladder. But notice how profound that is this morning. The Gospel came to the least of these. God chose the lowest to give the greatest of gifts. Sometimes in order to understand something, it it can be helpful for us to contextualize. And if you don't know what the word contextualize means, it means make it applicable to our lives. But the angels appearing to the shepherds watching the flock at night might be similar to the angels appearing to the middle-aged woman working at Burger King at 3 a.m. It's like appearing to the mall cop. The gas station attendant. The people whom you might not think are worthy of the greatest gift are the people who was given the greatest gift in this story. Here's a very profound question. How low does God's grace go? Is there anyone who is too worthless to not regret the Gospel? By this angel appearing to the shepherds, the answer clearly is that Christ has come for all. Doesn't Jesus show us this even in His adult life later in the Gospel? He dined with prostitutes and sinners. Is God willing to save a prostitute? What about a drug addict? What about a teen mom? What about the divorced dad? The disabled? The immigrant? Do not relegate the fact that the shepherds are here just by incident. That they happen to be here. This has profound implications. The Gospel is for the outcast of society. The Gospel is for everyone Not just the Magi, not just the people in a suit, not just you and I, but this whole world Christ came for. He came for everyone. To save even the lowest among us. And so you have to think, in order to get the picture here in Luke chapter 2, of being a shepherd in a sense. The shepherds were, like we said, the lowest caste of society. But the shepherds are also people with a job. So they're there in the evening hours. They're there at night. And what would happen in ancient Israel is that they would have a circle of stones that would make sort of a wall with a a V cut out in one of the walls. A little notch cut out. And during the day, they would go out to pasture and they would eat. But then in the evening, a shepherd would take his sheep, his flock, and he would put them in that little circle of stones and he would sit right at that V. Right in that notch. So every sheep that comes or goes has to go through the shepherd. 
Doesn't that make a lot more sense now when Jesus says, I am the door, which we read in our assurance of pardon. Every sheep had to go through the shepherd to get out of the pen and go to pasture. And so the shepherds are likely sitting near that notch, that low spot in the wall. And at night, they're waiting for a wolf or a thief to come. Imagine this with me. The quiet of the night. The chirping of the bugs. The swaying of the branches in the wind. It's quiet. And without them hearing anything, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared. And the night goes from darkness to the glorious light of the Lord. Putting a new picture to the words, those who are sitting in darkness, on them a light has shone. The blazing sun of God's glory appears to these men. And the glory of the Lord, if you're familiar with your Bible reading, is a, is a commonly used term throughout the Bible. It says when manna fell from heaven, Exodus 16.10, the glory of the Lord appeared. It says when God made the covenant on Mount Sinai, it says the glory of the Lord appeared and was like a devouring fire. This is a manifestation of God's glory they're seeing. That God was going to act on behalf of His people. But commonly throughout the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord is associated with the temple. That was where you went to find the glory of the Lord. But surprisingly, this, that evening, the glory of the Lord doesn't appear in nearby Jerusalem. It doesn't shine around the manger, but to lowly shepherds to demonstrate that the, those who are of the highest rung have come to the lowest rung and they have come to proclaim salvation. They have come to proclaim that the Gospel is for everyone. What's the application here, congregation? It should be so clear. Do not ever believe that there is someone who is too far gone. Do not ever believe that there is somebody who is too low, too unworthy to be saved by the long arm of Jesus Christ. If He was able to, sh- to save the lowly shepherds, surely He is able to save sinners like us. Sinners like our friends and family. And notice the second word of application, how the shepherds responded. It's not in our Scripture reading this morning, but if you looked at uh, verses 15-20, to the shepherds, this is the second aim of their inclusion in this story, even though they're the lowest caste of society, the shepherds are the ones who actually respond with belief. They respond with praise. It says, verse 15, they went with haste to the Lord. Verse 17, after they see the Lord, they begin to proclaim the Lord's birth. Verse 20, then as they returned, they 
returned praising and glorifying God. They were deeply affected by the message the angels proclaimed and seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in the manger. Brothers and sisters, they believed the Gospel message. They're in heaven. Right now. Because they believed the Gospel message. When you compare them with the Magi in Matthew 2, what a picture that would have been. The Magi and their beautiful robes and their wonderful gifts and the lowly shepherd in their work clothes smelling like sheep. But they came. They couldn't offer gold. They didn't bring frankincense. They didn't bring myrrh. But they did offer something. They offered their hearts. And isn't that the offering that God wants from His people? Then we go to Psalm 51. What does, the, what does David say in that psalm? If you desired sacrifice, I would have given it. But a broken and contrite heart, God does not despise. You too, Christian, this morning may not be able to offer God much. You might feel like you don't have talents, you don't have gifts, you don't have riches that you might offer Him. But you can come this morning to Christ Bow the knee and offer your heart and he'll receive it with joy and the angels in heaven will worship God for the salvation of your soul. But they are not the only ones who are present at this worship service. We see that there is a preacher present as well. Notice in verses 10 through 12, there's an angelic preacher. Here we are familiar with this story. Uh, The angels appear. The shepherds are then filled with great fear. And the first word that the angel says is, fear not. Just a moment ago, I mentioned a few Bible verses where the glory of the Lord appeared to people in the Bible. Do you remember what happened after God appears to people in the Bible? They fall flat on their face. When God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18, did Abraham just chit-chat with God? No. He falls flat on his face. What about when God appears to Moses and the elders in Exodus 24? It says they saw God, and then the very next verse, they begin to describe the pavement under God's feet. You might read that chapter and think, that's a little strange. Why are they talking about the pavement? Because they fell flat on their face. Joshua and Joshua 5, Isaiah and Isaiah 6, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1.28, all in the presence of God are filled with great fear and dread over their sins and fall flat on their face. Precedence says fear is actually an entirely appropriate response to the glory of God. Fear is because we're sinners. 
These great men were filled with fear falling on their faiths in the presence of God because they're sinners. Isaiah says when he sees God, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of, un- of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says in the glory of God, I actually curse myself. I wish I wasn't even here. In the presence of God, one of the greatest prophets of old felt his own sinfulness. And congregation, if God's glory appeared to us, I think we would feel the same way. We too are sinners. The Apostle Paul says none is righteous. Not anyone. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. We have to agree with Isaiah this morning. We are are sinners. We've all said things we shouldn't have. We have all not spoken up when we should have. We have all spoken God's name in an unworthy manner. And we dwell in a world that tempts us to sin and so often we give in. The testimony of the Bible is that people are undone in the presence of God Unless they have a mediator. Fear because you are sinners, but fear not because of the Gospel. On what basis can the angel of the Lord say, fear not? Look what the Scriptures say. For behold, I bring you good news. The Greek word here for good news is the very same word that is translated throughout the Bible as gospel. Euangelion. Behold, I bring the gospel. The angels bring a gospel declaration. This is what we're bearing witness to is preaching. A heralding. God has brought good news for sinners. And notice with me, my friends, what good news is not in these early days of Christ's life. Good news is not a list of suggestions on how to get into heaven. Good news is not a new way to become moral or to enact social justice. Good news is this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 11. The good news is stop trying to save yourself. The King has come to save you. Therefore, what this means then is that the Christmas story is not about presents. The Christmas story is not about Santa Claus. The Christmas story, in some senses, is not even about the manger scene. The Christmas story is, you don't save yourself, God saves you. That God has fulfilled His promise to David. That a son would reign on His throne forever. And this Son 
As Matthew says in chapter 1, his name shall be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the cause of their joy. There is a Savior. There is a Christ who is their anointed prophet, priest, and king. And He would be their mediator that in the presence of God, they do not need to be undone. They do not need to be filled with fear. Christ will be their atonement. He will be their mediator. Fear not, lowly shepherd. God has seen your plight. God has heard your prayers. You do not need to fear. He has come in grace. The grace of the Savior. There's a lesson here. Even though movies, Instagram, this world might teach us that only the rich have cause to be happy. That you're only really happy if you go on five or six vacations a year. You'll only be happy if you're beautiful. You'll only be happy if you have millions of dollars in the bank. Let the poor rejoice this morning. Let the powerless rejoice that all who have Christ have heaven. Does not the Apostle Paul say, being justified by faith, we have cause to boast It's in this pronouncement their fear turns to joy. Their lowly estate turns to an exalted state. And even though after this worship service, after they go see Christ the Lord, they would still be lowly shepherds. They would still go back to the night shift. They wouldn't have more money in the bank. In terms of the flesh, believing gave them nothing. But in terms of the Spirit, this pronouncement gave them everything. The greatest of gifts. Before we look at this third point, we see these angels also say that there will be a sign. But the question I was confronted with is a sign of what? What does Christ in the manger a sign of? And some people say it would be a sign that they found the right baby, which I guess does make some sense. Some say it could be a sign of his burial, which doesn't make as much sense to me. I'm going to take a differing view here. I think when the angels say, you will find a baby wrapped in those swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and this will be a sign to you, is they're actually saying that this will be the fulfillment of the Messianic promises. That the One who has come to save will not be sitting on a throne He won't be dwelling in a palace. But they'll find a baby in a feeding trough. If it's a sign of anything, it's first a sign of Christ's humility. Again, this is hammering that point. Christ has come for the poor. Christ has come for the powerless. This is a Gospel word. It is good news for broken people. Christ has come to save the lost. And so, we need to see this celestial choir. The third hymn of Luke's 
Advent story. Verses 13 and 14, it says, and suddenly, it's supposed to jar you awake this morning. No sooner had the angel of the Lord finished his message that the whole of heaven erupts with praise. A multitude of the heavenly hosts fill the night sky. And I like what Matthew Henry says. They glorify God and they congratulate men. They glorify God and congratulate men. Have you ever thought of the angel's song in that way? And again, what he means by this is that the babe in the manger will glorify God to the utmost and save sinners. Look at that doxology. Glory to God in the highest. Remember that these angels likely would have known Christ prior to His incarnation. They would have known of Christ's glory. They would have known of Christ's riches. They would have known of His majesty. They knew that before God created this world, all things were created through Christ. And all creation would bow the knee to Christ. This Christ is King of all. But they also knew of man's fall. And God had provided a way of salvation. You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. I'm not sure if they knew of the cross. But we can at least assume that as they are glorifying God, that the condition of Christ's poverty must have caused them to stand in awe of God's love for us. This is the King of Heaven. This is the champion of our salvation. The Creator of this world in a manger as a baby with a dirty diaper needing to nurse and to cry and to be comforted. The angels are glorifying God that He saves sinners. Shouldn't this lead us to praise? Paul says when he meditates on this Gospel, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The angels are not even the recipients of this love. 1 Peter 1.12 says they long to look into this love. They cannot comprehend it. Put it another way, the angels are glorifying God and are jealous of people, of the church, that God would love them so much to give him, them His Son. This Christmas season, maybe you're a shepherd with no social standing. But if you have the gift of Christ, the angels are jealous of you. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And they worship God for bringing peace in Christ. 
We all need peace. Peace is probably the most desired things in this thing in this world. I know when I was just a young uh, two-pointer, my, when my dad came home, I often liked to throw the football or the baseball and talk his ear off, and eventually he would say, I need a little peace and quiet. We all want peace. And this wouldn't have been a foreign concept to the shepherds. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says that in the day that Christ was born, Caesar Augustus was emperor. And Luke even sort of shows you the glory of Caesar Augustus by saying all the world was to be registered. He was a glorious empire, emperor. And he was the emperor who instituted what's called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And the Romans really deified Caesar Augustus for this. It was said when the emperor Augustus was born, it was announced as good news. Euangelion. Gospel. And they called him, his birth, the arrival of a Savior. In Caesar's name, the world proclaimed peace. Peace. But there was no peace with Caesar. Certainly not for the Jews especially. But what the angels are doing is showing us where true peace comes from comes from above. And the peace the angels speak about is not a Christian or Roman utopianism where we no longer have any adversity in this life, but the peace that is spoken here refers to a spiritual peace between God and humanity. Since the fall of the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, there has been war between God and man. Wrath is coming on all who sin. We don't just need peace with each other. We don't just need peace with our governments. We need peace with God. But we never could have pleased Him because we're sinners. And we don't live as we ought. But listen to this. This is the Christmas message. That there has been One who has come There has been one who has lived a perfect life of whom God has said, I am well pleased who would serve God unto death. The Lord Jesus Christ. God is pleased with Him. But look what the angels say. Glory to God in the highest and peace among those. Plural. With whom God is pleased. It's not just one man with whom God is pleased. But by Christ's death and by believing upon Him, we are accepted before God in Christ. God is pleased with us in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's cause for praise and adoration. Christ came for the lowly that they could be accepted in God's sight. But you might not want to think of yourself as someone who's lowly or a shepherd. But we will never know the beauty of Christmas unless we have the courage to admit that we're a sinner. Christ came not for the righteous, 
not for the mighty, but for sinners. He came for those who admit that they are moral failures. He came for those who haven't loved God as we ought, or our neighbors. We are guilty in need of forgiveness. I know it's humbling, but remember how humble Christ was for us. This is the Christmas message. Not just that a baby was laid in the manger, but that God Himself was laid in a manger to save His people from their sins, as that Christmas hymn says, Born that man no more may die, He laid His glory by. And so, congregation, in conclusion this morning, let us rejoice. Christ has not come only for the rich. He has not come only for the mighty. He's not come for the perfect or the holy. But He has come for lowly shepherds and sinners like us. And by believing upon Him, we have true peace with God Almighty. Amen. Let us pray. Our merciful God and Father, we do give You thanks for this Christmas message that is, that is ours now. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this good news would not fall upon deaf ears, but would be life to our souls. May we receive it with a believing heart. Father, we ask Your blessing upon it. And the rest of this worship service we pray in Christ's name. Amen.